Welcome back to the Short Pour Saloon. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Philip Slavin. How you doing, man? JP, I'm doing well. March Madness is almost here. College baseball is going on. College softball is going on. We're about to get Oklahoma State soccer again, as we will talk about coming up. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I, I could use about a three-day nap, but I'm doing all right. There are lots of sports, and we are here to talk about them. I think that's probably just going to be the title of this episode because we have about five different sports to get through in some capacity on this podcast. But I guess that's a good thing. It's nice that with Oklahoma State, we don't have to just shut things down when football season ends and just gloss over what goes on in the spring and in the winter. Like, But men's and women's basketball has been great this year. Baseball, softball, both awesome. Wrestling. Women's, we get women's soccer in the spring, golf. Like there, there's so much, and men's women's tennis. Like there's so much of those kind of B and C sports that a lot of schools either overlook, underfund, or just flat out don't care. And Oklahoma State cares, and they're all and they're good, you know, nationally in most of them. So it's very fortunate that we do get to talk about these things and not just try and, you know, hypothesize about what's going to happen in football during the football season. Right now, we have actual other sports to talk about and showcase. It's also nice to be an OSU podcast that talks about all those things. That's also fair. I, I do agree <clears> that. <throat> so we are going to let, let's start with hoops real quick. Um, yep. We've got Bedlam part, you know, two times two coming up over mm-hmm. the next couple of days. They play them in Norman on Saturday and then on big Monday back in Stillwater. Uh, they're coming off a huge overtime win against Texas tech, which they desperately needed that win. Um, yeah. yeah. We, Thought we almost recorded something on Sunday, but we've realized when we talk about and try and preview games truly for basketball, we jinx it. So we kind of nix that, and now we're going to talk about it after the fact. Uh, but that was a huge win because the rest of the schedule is brutal. The Big 12 did them no favors with the rescheduling and the uh, cancellation, non-cancellation. They go OU, at OU, OU, and then at Baylor, at West Virginia, and then the conference tournament to end the year. They needed that win against Texas Tech because I think yes. I think they're probably going to go one and three in this stretch. I think they win in Stillwater against OU, but going to Norman is going to be really tough. OU still playing really good ball despite a head scratching loss to can't to an awful Kansas State team on Tuesday or Wednesday. It just it it doesn't make sense. But the, I'm not gonna, despite Baylor's you know, long COVID break and then a scare against Iowa State. They're still one of the best teams in the country. That Going at Baylor is going to – that that's going to suck. And then at West Virginia two days later. Like, it's just a stretch that I don't think, as good as this team is, they're going to be able to come out 500 or better in this stretch. But it's not going to hurt them. They'll all be quad one quality losses with – yeah. And they're going to set themselves up just fine for the Big 12 tournament. Um, this, this stretch isn't going to kill Oklahoma State. It's going to suck if they lose a couple of these games, especially if they get blown out here and there. But it's not, it's, it shouldn't bother fans. It shouldn't worry you. The, the Big 12 is really good still. And if Oklahoma State goes one and three in the stretch, it's still pretty solid. And they've set themselves up really nicely for the Big 12 and the NCAA tournament. So a few thoughts. <clears throat> it's a counter what you've said. First off, yes, the win over Texas Tech was huge. Um, from everything I've 
listened to and seen. It feels like that Texas Tech win has pretty much locked up Oklahoma State as an NCAA tournament team. Because again, as you mentioned, every every game left is quad one. Oklahoma State's currently six and four in quad one. If they even if they go one and three down the stretch, that means they're gonna be seven and seven. Not a lot of teams are gonna have seven quad one wins. That's a very nice resume. One bad loss, that's it. The home loss to TCU earlier in the back last year, essentially. Um, otherwise, everything you're gonna deal with is, is quad one losses. They're gonna they're gonna be fine, they're gonna be in. Um the Baylor game. I don't remember if we put the episode out or not, but you have heard me say this. I thought OSU would beat Baylor if that game happened. Yes. Because of what would happen with COVID. And after the Iowa State scare over Baylor, I'm that much more pissed off that that game did not happen. Because it wasn't just COVID-related. COVID further knocked their roster down to the point that they couldn't play. They were also dealing with injuries. And I want to argue to some extent that COVID kind of helped Baylor not have to play games while their roster was beat up. And now they're going to be healthy and, and move along. And I, I don't, I know that sounds probably worse than I mean it to, but I wish that game had happened on Sunday because I stand by OSU would have gone to Baylor and won. No, I, I agree with you. I, I, I don't – with considering the break that Baylor was on, which was well, well over three weeks. It was I, a three – it was a 20-day break. It was a full break. three weeks, yeah. yeah. I, Oklahoma State would have gone in and beat them. I, yes. With the way that they are playing right now, with the way this team is playing right now, they would have. Mm-hmm. And hindsight can always be twenty twenty, but I firmly believe that Oklahoma State would have won that game. Now yeah. Baylor will have two or three games under their belt. They'll be back into the swing of things, and they're going to be Baylor again. The, the Baylor that we saw prior to their COVID break. Mm-hmm. And do I still think Oklahoma State can give them a run for their money in Waco? Yes, because the last time Oklahoma State and Baylor played, Rondo Walker and Kate Cunningham did not play. And both of those guys impact the game in enough ways that Oklahoma State can keep it close. I don't think they're going to go into Waco and win. If they do, it would probably be one of the biggest wins across NCAA this season. No, it would be. It, yeah, go, going it, to it Baylor be. and beating them, it would be one of the biggest wins of the season regardless mm-hmm. of conference, regardless of team. Mm-hmm. And when you have a guy like K. Cunningham so, playing the way he is right now, there's an opportunity there. He did not get to play yeah. against them. And again, as, we, as I've said before, when the lights are the brightest, when you need him the most, he's going to deliver. And he has, especially in these bigger games. I think he's averaging over 20 a game against top 25 teams. So you know you're going to get the best out of him. It's just a matter of the rest of the guys falling in line and finding ways to to mitigate Baylor, which is going to be really, really tough. It's going to take the best game that Oklahoma State has played all year, and I don't think you can't debate that either. I, I am ready for Kate Cunningham versus Jared Butler. Yes. I'm, I'm ready for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so as far as the schedule goes, obviously, as you mentioned, at OU, OGU, at Baylor, at West Virginia. I understand OSU fans are mad. This is just an unfortunate circumstance they're, the Big 12 is going to make up as many of the games as possible. They've got to try and hit the number that they have to hit to not have to give any money back for TV contracts. So the games, unfortunately, that OSU had delayed was a home game against Oklahoma and road games at Baylor and West Virginia. That's what, so Texas doesn't have a home game anymore. That home game that they had on Tuesday where they beat Kansas, that, that huge win for them to sweep Kansas in the regular season, that's it. The rest of their schedule – Four road, four road games, Kansas City, Indianapolis. That's all they got left. So it's not just OSU who's been screwed in this. Uh, West Virginia gets four home games to finish off. So congrats to West Virginia, who thinks the Big 12 hates them. Baylor, 
Like you're not, I don't think you're beating Baylor and Waco now. I'm not picking no. that. But they are coming off COVID. They have to go to Kansas, go to West Virginia, then they get Oklahoma State, and then they get Texas Tech. Now, do I think they could lose to Kansas or West Virginia? Sure. Do I think they're going to lose to home to Oklahoma State? No. Um, it's not easy. And, and one and three doesn't sound sexy. It's not exciting. But if you, OSU's been playing well. If they go one and three, it's okay. It is. It's not fun. It's not great. Um, but I don't. I, I think you're still sitting and looking at a, somewhere between a seven and a nine seed, which is what they're already at. At this point, I don't think you're going to hurt. You're not hurting your NCAA tournament chances. You might hurt your seeding a little bit, but you're still going to be in the same matchup. It's either going to be a seven through state. Yeah, I, I think if Oklahoma State goes one and three, and they win at least two games in the Big Twelve tournament, which I think they can. They're, I, I am fully convinced because the NCAA is not stupid. They may be dumb, but they're not stupid. They absolutely would put Oklahoma State as the seven seed in the same regional as Illinois is the two seed to get an Illinois-Oklahoma State round of 32. Like That would get a lot of eyes because obviously Illinois has got some guys, but you get Brad Underwood versus Mike Boynton and Cade Cunningham in the game. Like That would probably be the most watched round of 32 game which would make a lot of money for them. Like I, the NCAA is a bunch of dumb shits, but you know, they're, they're going to make as much money as they can off this. I'm fully convinced that's going to happen. Oklahoma state is going to be locked in as a seven. If they finish the season one and three with two, uh, two big 12 tournament wins. At worst, they'd be a 10, but it still get the same. So serve the same, same purpose. Yeah. They're play Either way, like. they're, they're going to pray to God that they get Illinois, Oklahoma state around a 32. For, for OSU, for me, um, what, what I'm hoping for. So Texas Tech has to end with, and this is why this, this matters to me. Texas Tech ends with Texas, TCU, Iowa State at home, and then at Baylor. So you look at that. Now, Texas Tech's not playing great right now. Okay, they're 6-7 and seven in conference play. Oklahoma State is 8-6. and six. Now, Oklahoma State swept Texas Tech. So that if it comes down to it, they own the tiebreaker, right? I don't want OSU to be in that first round. I want them to get the first round by. I, 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 because I don't want to deal with adding another game against Iowa State. And that's not going, I don't think that's going to help them at this point. You look at the problem with OSU and why they're so low in the net ranking. The TCU losses don't help. You've got six quad four games. It's not your fault. UT Arlington is so bad that they're nine spots out of being a quad three. That road win is three spots out of being a Quad three win. Iowa State and Kansas State. The Big 12 does not typically have, they always have a bad team. But to have two teams as bad as the Kansas State and Iowa State are this year, so to have two teams in conference play in the Big 12 that are at best quad three wins on the road and quad four at home and have no chance at moving up out of that spot is, is what the other problem for OSU. Now that's a problem for every Big 12 team. But OSU is one of the few Big 12 teams that's played all four games against them, which is not helping their net ranking. So there's, there are some things kind of going against OSU here. I don't want another game against Iowa State. Give me the first round bye. So if you're the sixth seed, it's what? It's, the, it's uh, one and two get this. The, so it's three, six, four, or five. You're going to face Kansas again. Um, maybe Oklahoma again. You might get a third Bedlam. I don't know. But I just I don't want to deal with I don't want to deal with an Iowa State win. It's not going to do you any good. Like no one's going to be like, oh, they beat Iowa State again. It's bumping up a seed. Yeah. So I, I don't need that. Yeah, 
I, I do want to backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about the Texas Tech game because there, there are some storylines in that game that, that I think feel are worth mentioning. One, the Texas Tech. Ah. One, Avery Anderson shoved Mac McClung in a locker for 40 minutes. <laughs> Avery Anderson. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It, it's, it's a great visual for sure. Um, but I don't think – we've talked about it a little bit, but I don't think we've still given Avery Anderson the credit that he is, deserves – for the jump that he has taken this season from his freshman to his sophomore year. He looked like last year, you could see the flashes of a good backup bench point guard that can get you some minutes is going to be able to handle the ball, run the offense, but is going to lock people up on defense and give you 15 to 20 minutes a night. Since he has been inserted into the starting lineup, he's been one of the best players on this team. He's getting you 10 a night with about, four or five rebounds, four or five assists, a couple of steals, and is going to lock up whoever he is guarding, which in this instance was Mac McClung. Mac McClung had 17 points on 16 shots. That is incredibly inefficient, and that's a huge credit to Avery Anderson to lock up one of the best players on Texas Tech and one of the best shooters in the Big 12. And Kate Cunningham had four fouls at before the under 16 against Texas Tech. And to that point, the only two dudes that showed up for Oklahoma State were Cade Cunningham and Caleb Boone. They, they were getting no production offensively from anybody else. And Avery Anderson stepped up and scored eight straight points and helped really get that Oklahoma State 15-0 run that completely turned the tide of the game. And there, there isn't enough I can say that, I mean, Avery Anderson's been awesome, and he is not close to his ceiling. He's going to be the guy that's probably running your offense next year. And I feel really good about his development and where he is at. And as a junior, he's going to be scary all-conference good. And I don't think I'm being hyperbolic or homer right now when I say how, that's how good Avery Anderson is. And he's not even to his ceiling yet. It has been awesome to see. And I think a lot of credit goes to Mike Boynton and the coaching staff for being able to develop these guys from one year to the next. And it was a huge jump. And it's not like we saw little flashes and then a little more. I mean, it's night and day from what we saw with Avery Anderson as a freshman. So I, I'm all in on this. And it's, it was really awesome to see him have the moments he did with Kate Cunningham off the floor. And then when they were on the floor together, it was great. But off the floor, him being able to lead that comeback says so much about where he's at right now as a player. Yeah. He – if he gets to the point where he is consistent, he'll be a stud. And that's his only thing to me right now is – and looking at him from freshman to sophomore year is a massive jump. Um, and now it's just consistency. And consistency is, I think, something most college players have to try and – Oh, yeah. yeah. But if he, can, if he can become more consistent – that's to me. If he can be more consistent in year three, I, just, I, I still think likely he's probably coming back for this year. But if you're telling me your backcourt is, is likely and – and and Avery Anderson, and you give me Ronda and give me Rondell Walker on the wing too, and a healthy likely, by the way, a healthy all season likely, not I, a dealing with and recovering from mono, not a dealing with and recovering from a foot injury likely. A I healthy, think there. I Avery really think healthy Walker. Ooh. I really think Isaac Likely is more hurt than we realize. I do too. There, like, there there's the foot gets injury the surgery at the gets the surgery at the end of the season, kind of. And I, I think there's a shoulder injury in there too. Like there had to be. Because I vividly remember that TCU game. He took a hard fall on the floor and he came up and was like messing with his shoulder. And it was his right shoulder. And because that hitch in his delivery 
delivery and think of baseball. And his shot, it looks way more pronounced than it even did three weeks ago. Like he has that little hitch in his shot, which makes his shot not that not all that consistent. But it looked like he was really laboring to get the ball up there. That is a problem as a basketball player. And that's why we've seen him offensively just fall off a cliff from what we saw earlier in the year. Early in the year, he was 10 to 13 a game. He's still getting your rounds. He's still getting your assists, but we're seeing like two, four, five points, no points. Like it's, it's very weird. And he's still making an impact on the floor defensively. He played 31 minutes against Texas Tech and looked good defensively. But I need to see him offensively take that next step. But I just don't know if he's going to do it when he's not 100%. He's a bulldog. He's going to continue to play, and he's going to play until Mike Boynton physically rips him off the floor. But it, it is really hard watching him just look and play hurt. It sucks. It does. Because I, and because I love Isaac Likely. He's one of my favorite Oklahoma State players ever. I, I said that earlier this year. And I hope that he can get healthy fast because this team does need him. Yeah, agreed. I do. Um, here's what I'm going to say. And we keep saying one and three, one and three. I know we need to move on. Outside of that weird TCU sweep, which I think really was, and I forget the name of the big man. I think it was just a matchup issue. I think they played poorly against TCU twice, which is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But Desmond Bain, that's not right. Oh, uh, Kevin Samuel. Thank you. Uh, that's, and it, again, the one kind of team OSU does not want to face in the NCAA tournament if they want to win a game is a team with a dominant inside scoring presence. Illinois terrifies me because Kofi Coburn is seven foot 285 and he'll have 30. Um, whatever. But outside of that, outside of that stupid TCU stuff, your losses are to West Virginia, where you blew a 19 point lead, Baylor, who's Baylor, and road games in Kansas and Texas. I think they can go two and two. I think they can go 500. I think they will go 500. I think you split with Oklahoma. I think you lose at Baylor. And I think they find a way to get it done in Morgantown at West Virginia. And I will say this. I will also say this. Boynton. Is Boynton undefeated in Morgantown? Or is he two and one? I think he's two and one. I'm pretty sure he's two and one. He's got his best team. Now, West Virginia's good. There's no arguing that. They're playing really well, and they, they can score. Um, I could see a, a fourth overtime win for this team and winning at West Virginia. I think they split. I think they beat Oklahoma at home. I think they win at West Virginia. I think they lose at Oklahoma and lose at Baylor and finish two and two in this stretch, gobble up two more quad one wins, finish above 500 in quad one and finish above 500 in conference play for the first time in a long time. And I, I think it's also worth noting. I, I wish I knew, I think it was Dave Hunsiker. He said that at the, and this is including now the Texas tech game. He said it before the game, but Oklahoma state under Mike Boynton in the last two weeks of the season, this is year four is 11 and four. Oh, Mike Boynton teams consistently, no matter how good or bad they are, play their best basketball at the end of the season, which is what you want. You want to see teams peaking at the right time at the end of the year, right before the conference tournament, so you can get into the NCAA tournament. You're talking me into thinking they're going to go two and two, but I'm too cynical to fully say that that's going to happen. But this is a really tough stretch for this team, but this is a team that's fully capable of going two and two or 
you know, figuring out, figuring something out. We have a lot more to get to, and there's more basketball to talk about at some point. And I do want to briefly touch on the women's basketball team real quick. Coach Latell needs to be Big 12 Coach of the Year. They have 13 yeah. conference wins. They have been awesome this year. They were picked eighth early on, or before the season. I believe they're, what, third in the con- third or fourth? They will finish third. They will finish third in the conference. Behind Baylor and West Virginia. There we go. Well, uh, okay, I, I forget. Hold on a second. They may, it may be a situation of uh, West Virginia's got a game left. OSU is done. Um, I think no. I think West Virginia is going to win it. I think it's Kansas. But if West Virginia were to lose, I think you do have a tie situation, and I'm not sure how it would stack out. So I, they are at worst, they are finishing third. They will finish no worse than third. They could be tied for second. Well, there we go. All right. And Natasha Mack needs to be the defensive player of the year in the country, if nothing else, the Big Twelve. Uh, I mean, she set the school record for blocks in two years. And she, I believe herself, we talked about this, I think off air, I think you might have sent me the stat, that she would be like top 25 in the country if she was a whole team in blocks. It's something like that, right? I'm going to get it. Last time we checked, OSU was number one in blocks per game, team-wise. If Natasha Mack was her own team, she would have been tied for 20. I'm going to pull it up right now on the NCAA website while we're talking here, filling air, which is always good radio when you're just talking to fill time. All right, so Oklahoma State, so block shots per game. No, I want total blocks, not block shots per game. So total blocks, Oklahoma State's number one. Now, that's their third in blocks per game because they play a few more games. They have 165. So just in total blocks, total number of blocks, they are number one. I don't want per game, do I? I just want block shots. That's why. I'm looking at the wrong side. So, yeah, block shots. OSU, number one. Okay. This is 20-98. Okay. Uh, we're going to go over here, and we're going to pull up uh, the individual statistic for block shots. Uh, Natasha Mack has 97. That would put her among teams. If she was a team, she would be tied for 23rd. That's in the country. Absolutely ridiculous. Yes, yes, it is. But it's not just that. Like I, we did this on my show. Like she is top three in like every offensive defensive statistic that matters in Big Twelve play. I think the only one she's not is top. I think she's fifth in scoring. So the discussion is Big Twelve Player of the Year is going to come down to either Natasha Mack or Charlie Kohler. Think Kohler's going to win it? I the only challenge, real challenger to me for defensive player of the year is going to be Dee Richards, who's a guard at Baylor. But I think Natasha Mack is going to win defensive player of the year. She should, and that's not a shot at Dee Richards at Baylor, but Natasha Mack can guard everywhere and everything and everyone, so I think she should. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, they, they were projected to finish eighth. They're going to finish third. They're going to go to the NCAA tournament. Like, that, that's a huge step for this program and a huge credit to Coach Hotel. That, that is awesome. You know, we, we've talked about, you know, we're, you know, kind of unsure about him, but I think, you know, a ton, he deserves all the credit in the world for the coaching job he's done this year. It's been, it's been awesome to see the progression from last year to this year for this team. 
Okay, I have it up one. So Natasha Mack is seventh in scoring. Uh, Collier is third. Uh, Natasha Mack is second in rebounding. Charlie Collier is first. Uh, field goal percentage, Natasha Mack is second in the 12. Collier is fourth. You see, I'm going here. Oh, this is what happens a lot. Uh, we're not touching free throws. Uh, blocks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, steals. Natasha Mack is sixth in the Big 12. You get the point. Uh, defensive player of the year, done. Uh, uh, player of the year, it, at worst, you should finish second place. Right, right. All right. Any final thoughts on either Hoops team before we move on here? Uh, well, women are done until the Big 12 tournament. So, gosh, I hope they get a good seed. The Big 12 is bad this year. And I think it's going to hurt them, um, which stinks. I hope they get a good seed. Beat OU twice, so we don't have to worry about the two and two thing or winning on the road. And, uh, and yeah, that, 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 I think that sums it up. Well, as Philip alluded to, we have some Cowgirls soccer to talk about. They are having a spring season that coincides with what they did in the fall, so it's a little continuation. And Anna Beffer, who is our go-to for anything Cowgirls soccer, uh, came on to talk about this weird spring season. We rambled a little bit because we were all at once trying to figure out how the heck this was working because some schools didn't even play in the fall. Some are playing a full slate. Some are continuing like the rest of the Big 12 is. It's a wild time. It's really weird. We talk about that a lot. Phillips says weird about three dozen times during that whole interview, but it's a really interesting conversation. It's Cowgirl Soccer. We love talking about them on this show. We will have that interview right now. We'll have a quick break before that, and then we'll talk with Anna Beffer. Philip and I are now joined by our favorite Cowgirl soccer correspondent, Anna Beffer. She's here to talk about the very interesting, odd, and unprecedented spring season for Cowgirl soccer and the rest of the Big 12. Uh, we really don't know what's going on. I hope that we – let's cross our fingers that Anna knows just a little bit more than us. Uh, Anna, how's it going? It's going good, guys. How are you? I maybe know – of the same I definitely don't know a lot we were joking before this how wild this season's gonna be but so as far as we understand this is an add-on to what we saw in the fall where they played the conference only schedule so their record's gonna carry over and there's gonna be possibly some type of NCAA tournament later on this spring but I mean this is just it's odd I I don't know how else to to describe because I thought maybe because Correct me if I'm wrong, most spring seasons, quote unquote, for college soccer is like exhibitions and like little games here and there just to have a little bit of spring ball before the fall, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, most spring seasons are just kind of to, you know, get minutes, kind of um, stay fit and work on things that, you know, you want a chance to work on and really dive in when you can't do those things in the heat of season. Um, so the mindset is going to be super different too because, our, I mean, as a player, it is, it's a, something that your coach definitely harps on this spring to try to get you, you know, up for games and they're, they may not count, but they still, you know, count towards development or team chemistry or, you know, X, Y, or Z things that you want to get better at. But now it's, I mean, they really count, especially with, you don't know 
you know, potentially how many games you're going to get to play the seasons condensed a little bit. And um, so the mindset of, you know, you're still in season, like these games are, you know, huge at this point. Um, so that'll be a drastic change and something that I can imagine will be hard as a player to kind of adjust to. And But we'll see. All right. So, from what we understand, you and I have talked, um, you've talked with, with the coaches there at OSU, trying to get an understanding of, of what's going on. And, and I'll let you explain that. Mm-hmm. But as we kind of understand, if you look at Oklahoma State's schedule on the website, um, OSU has a seven-game non-conference schedule. Obviously, they played the Big 12 played the full conference slate. And then everyone got all nine games in. Um, OSU did well, not as well as we hoped, but they did well. Um, now you're getting non-conference afterwards mm-hmm. in the spring. And according to the schedule, we are going to have an NCAA soccer championship. We just, as you understand, we just don't know what that's exactly going to look like right now. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I mean, it's, you know, the NCAA tournament, RPI is huge, which, you know, takes into account strength of schedule or how many, you know, wins or good ties you have and who you've lost to. And it takes into account all those little things. And it's it's hard because every conference is – kind of had a different story. I mean, luckily the big 12 was able to get in, you know, for the most part a full conference season, which was awesome. And like you said, I mean, OSU didn't end up at the top where they hoped, but they still ended third in a really strong conference. So it puts them in a good position as they, you know, head into this kind of addition to their season, try to get involved in NCAA tournament, but it's still, it is, it's just a little funky in each, each program. I mean, some teams are starting their seasons now. They've started their conference games in January and are kind of already in the groove of things and didn't play in the fall due to COVID. And then you have teams like OSU who did play, and then they kind of went on this, you know, break and weren't really sure what's going to happen. And then they put together an NCAA, you know, the second half of the season. And so now they're coming back and you have players that, you know, coming back and trying to stay fit over that break. So it's just weird. Every team's kind of at a different phase and trying to just formulate some kind of complete season for the players. But, I mean, OSU finished on a, on a pretty good note in the fall. So I think they have a lot to build on and um, kind of continue that momentum. But it, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to kind of see how, they, how it plays out. So from digging around, it looks like the only three conferences that played in the fall for the ACC, SEC, and, Pac- and Big 12. And they all mm-hmm. play conference games. No one played non-conference. And that's it. Those are the only conferences that I can find that played fall soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and now everyone is doing their best to catch up. A number of conferences have already started. They've been playing since like January, um, playing non-conference games, playing conference games, uh, which is something we'll talk about as we kind of go through this schedule for OSU. So it looks like everyone's trying to get in as many games mm-hmm. as they can to, for, to build their RPI. And for those conferences in the Big 12, SEC, and ACC, you're just you're going to go and play your non-conference just to build up the rest of the resume to try and make it for the NCAA championship this year, um, which mm-hmm. I think kind of leads us to, uh, before we dive into the schedule, and you kind of touch on it, but that's weird. I mean, obviously it's weird. It's the COVID year. It's whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I'm tired of describing things as weird because there's no oh, other right. word descri- ever invented to deal with this. Um, like odd, whatever. But how playing in spring is weird on its own. How does that work where, or how do you think it might work? Because we've never had to deal with this before. 
Mm-hmm. You're in Oklahoma State. You're a Big 12 school. You're going to play seven non-conference games, whereas basically everybody but you and two other conferences have to play a full spring slate. How does that? How do you balance that? Even trying to go into the NCAA championship ter- or NCAA tournament, where one team or one, some conferences have played seven games, and some conferences are having to play sixteen. You know, they play a full mm-hmm. slate to get into that tournament. Like, how do you? I mean, I, I'm sure you don't have an answer. I don't mean this bad, but like, I don't. I, I can't wrap my head around like how difficult that would be. I mean, it, it for a football standpoint, if you want to go from that way, it's like the Big Ten getting to play five games while everyone right. else has to play ten or eleven. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you feel like that in any way provides an advantage to either side, those who are getting to play a full slate now, or those who are playing a lighter load heading into the NCAA championship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, you bring up a good point. There's definitely um, <laughs> no clear answer, but I think there's pros and cons to both because when I look at it, I mean, OSU coming in the fall, those those teams that got to play in the fall had a chance to kind of work their kinks out, um, work on, you know, team chemistry. And I know that OSU really felt like near the end they started to really find their rhythm and click and you know you had some really strong returners coming in leading that group and then you had some new ones step up and it's it's hard every year to just you know find um just some cohesion within the group and really understand each other so I think that's a huge positive for those teams that got to play in the fall because they're able to continue to build on that and have already kind of figured out their team identity whereas I think these teams that haven't been able to play they're going to have to come in and really hit the ground running knowing, you know, they have to get in as many games as possible to try to catch up and, you know, develop that chemistry and team identity at an accelerated pace. But on the contrary, I think that a team that starts in January, they're playing a lot of soccer. They're around each other a lot. They've already been practicing. They're, you know, kind of going full throttle. Whereas these teams in the fall, they were, you know, they hit, they hit the ground running in the fall, but then they took this, this kind of awkward break um, and weren't able to, you know, practice as much and didn't have the same opportunity to play in, you know, game-like scenarios and play matches. And, you know, playing in games is so different than playing in practice. And any athlete will say that it, it's just different. It's hard to get game fit without playing games. And so I think there's, you know, advantages in, in both directions. It just depends on how you want to look at it. But I think it's one of those things where I know coach Colin Carmichael and Karen and Justin all kind of mentioned this in the fall where you kind of just have to keep your blinders on and just focus on what's in your locker room and say, okay, you know, who do we have this week? Who's healthy? Who are we playing? And let's just focus on each game at a time because this year, like you said, there's no other word. It's just, it's been weird. And every team has had a different story of, you know, how many games they played, how many players are healthy, who they played. And it's, it's bizarre. So I guess the long answer to your question would be if you look at it from, you know, starting in January, you're already kind of buzzing and you can kind of already, um, you know, you're in the, you're in the mode. Whereas OSU, they haven't had as many practice hours. And I know that it's going to be important for them to mentally get back up to playing again. And, you know, these games are important and they're going to have to, kind of recognize this isn't a normal spring and they had to stay fit over that weird break. Um, So we'll see, but I mean, it's a really disciplined group. There's a lot of talented players on that team. Clearly they finished in a great spot in the fall. And um, I saw a couple of interviews that, you know, 
those leaders did, Hannah Webb and Charmaine Morgan talked about how they felt like they were in a good spot and that this was an opportunity for them to continue to build on that season. And they were obviously, they want to be in that number one spot, but they were pleased with their performance last fall and how they were all clicking. So from, from what I've heard and, you know, the coaches have said, I think they're in a good spot. So we'll see. I mean, who knows, but it's definitely, it's, it's weird. All right. So let's, let's run down the schedule here. I lied. Uh, it looks like the Sunbelt played their conference schedule in the fall as well. Uh, again, for, forgive me if we get things wrong here. We're, you know, <laughs> we've done the research as best we can, but this is, it's all very weird. Um, and we don't follow yeah. as nearly as close as, you know, football is so well publicized. We all get it. Right. Uh, but it seems the Sunbelt did play their conference schedule in the fall. Um, and, uh, and, and Little Rock went uh, four, five, and three in conference play. And, yeah, so OSU will open non-conference here uh, with a game against Little Rock, um, followed by a game against St. Louis, uh, and the, uh, the that conference did not play. The Billikens did not play in the fall, so they just got started on February 4th. They're 4-0 to start off, uh, which is nice. They have to go to Arkansas before they face OSU. Uh, then we get North Texas, who similarly just started in the spring. They're currently 1-0. They've got to play one one game that counts, they got two games that were exhibitions, had three games canceled, I'm sure, all due to the weather that hit uh, hit the state mm-hmm. of Texas as well as the rest of the South uh, early a couple weeks ago. You then play UTEP, who is uh, started the year already. They are one, two, and one uh, so far out of the gate. And then a couple of non-conference opportunities against conference teams. First off with a home game against Oklahoma, obviously OSU and Oklahoma usually play two games every season. So they get a home and home there, one non-conference, one conference. Uh, They're playing a non-conference game at TCU, which is good. TC is good. TC won the big 12. Uh, It's another opportunity for a quality one. And then you get a game against Notre Dame at home. And Notre Dame went four and five in the ACC this year. They're typically a a really good team. It seems they're a little bit down this year. Um, uh, obviously we don't know a lot about every team mm-hmm. because some haven't started until now, but from your perspective, how do you view OSU, the, the non-conference slate that Oklahoma state has put together? Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's hard to predict how each team's going to be this year, especially when the schedules have been so wonky and the number of games, but I think, I think they've put together a good, a good schedule. They'll start out. I mean, historically, and I'm only, you know, speaking from when I played and just what I've seen. But, I mean, historically have had success against Little Rock and St. Louis, but they've always put up a really good game. And I, it's going to be kind of hit the ground running again. You can't roll over and think that you're going to beat these teams. And every team is going to have, you know, its own challenges. But they're all pretty and are going to have to be great because they're going to have to show up early and every single game counts and they can't treat one game, you know, lesser than the other, whether it's a, a quote unquote big name or not. Notre Dame is just as important as Little Rock and that win is just as important as the other one. Um, and, you know, like you said, maybe play against OU again. That's definitely something that it's easy for them to get up for with it being an in-state rivalry and Bedlam and um, no matter what the rankings are every year that game is a battle um so that'll be that'll be great for them and then like I said I mean going four and five but they've 
historically been really good. And no matter, you know, what kind of team they have, it's, it's never going to be an easy game against a, a program like Notre Dame. Um, so they've put together a really good season and um, it'll be, <laughs> it'll just be interesting to see. I think it's one of those things where I talked to Kate last week just to kind of thoughts on it just with the season being shortened and you, you know, you're not really sure what that NCAA tournament bracket's going to look like. It's just important to set the stage early, I think. And especially with a team like, you know, the Cowgirls right now coming off of last fall, finishing third, not where they wanted, but still in a good conference. But you have these teams like TCU, who you said they'll have the opportunity to play that one big 12 conference in the fall. Um, a lot of good competition they're going to have to and kind of set it even I think that's big mentally too to have that confidence coming back like okay we had our break we're still where we were we can continue to build off of this as opposed to you know you don't want to start off clunky and start getting in your head and think oh we might have you know taken a few steps back we need to readjust here you really want to start off on a good foot no matter what team you're playing against um it's it's definitely easier said than done but um, kind of circling back to your original question, they've put together a good schedule and they expect to win every game. And that's the expectation at that program. But they have, they have the tools to do it. So they're just going to have to start off strong and um, go from there and see what happens. Yeah, it makes sense building a schedule that's you know, close to home. You don't have to travel there as much. So right. Rock at home, UTEP at home, the road games at St. Louis. Uh, I, I do like you know the North Texas game. It's a road game. It's a sneaky good one. Uh, yeah. North Texas is the like seven, six-time reigning conference USA champ. So that's a that is a sneaky good conference road or a non-conference road game there for Oklahoma State to take on. I, yeah. I don't, Again, I'm doing a little bit of research here on the fly. I don't know a lot about UTEP or, or Little Rock. Obviously, they do play St. Louis pretty often. But I do think you end your non-conference late. You know, you get Oklahoma. You get that every year. That's nice. Right. TCU should provide some quality RPI. And, and even in a down year, I mean, if you know women's soccer, you know Notre Dame is a name. And so getting right. to have Notre Dame come to Oklahoma State and play at Neil Patterson yeah. Stadium – Mm-hmm. Dependent upon the number of seats that are allowed to be filled, you they sh- they probably should be for that one. Yeah, no, for sure. And I also think too, it's it's nice because a lot of these teams play different styles of soccer, and I can't speak to that as much as I could have when I was still playing. But I know that UNT is really physical, and like you said, they're they're all side, and for them, it's a physical match, and then play a team like TCU who you know likes to keep the ball on the ground very very good in possession moves the ball quick um so they'll get a a pretty wide array of um you know different styles of play which I think is really important too because you know at at this stage we keep talking about it but you never know kind of what each team's going to bring so to have that um, variety I think is important too in a schedule so I think they've done a good you know a good job considering and like you said staying close to home and um you know, not being on the road as much or going as far, but I think they'll, they'll have a good season ahead of them. Are you going to be, will you, will you be able to, uh, to listen to you as you call games as you did during the fall? You're going to be good for the home games again? Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, I'm, I'm scheduling you and the Notre Dame game, so I'm pumped for those. Um, so that's on the schedule right now. Hopefully I'm always up for more. Um, but yeah, no, I'll definitely be, 
I want to go up and just watch one too in the stands. It's been a while. I'm normally up in the, in the booth. So I want to go and just be up there. Really anything, any excuse. Yeah. At this point, but. <laughs> uh, it looks like the only, uh, <clears throat> It looks like the only two that will be broadcast, the Oklahoma and the Notre Dame home games, will both be on ESPN+. Plus. At the moment, it doesn't look like any of the other games are, but we'll see if that adjusts as time gets closer. Yeah. There's a lot going on right now. You know, Spring football, March Madness, baseball, softball. Now you got spring soccer. And gosh knows how many other things going on. There's, there's a lot to watch, a lot to enjoy. Um, yeah. Just, I'm excited for this. I'm excited that they're going to have an NCAA championship. I'm excited for some mm-hmm. non-conference matchups. I'm excited for another chance for OSU to continue to build on its ridiculously dominant battle record. So this should be uh, this should be fun. I'm I'm excited for more for more OSU yeah, soccer. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. I'm I'm ready to go. I'm I can't believe it's already here. It kind of came up quick. Yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> yeah, that's all. I'm sorry. I, I didn't get to this at all, and I feel bad. But I also kind of admittedly, until Philip brought it up, I was like, oh, wait, they are playing a spring season. And then I just had to scramble and hope that I could think of something. My brain isn't firing. I, ha- I have a small child. Philip has two small ch- children. We're allowed to just have our brains just completely leave our heads. No, I'm sorry. Anna, yeah, Anna, thank you so much. No, I kind of feel we, we really appreciate your time, all the time that you give us to talk cowgirl soccer. We love having you on and we look yeah. forward to having you on later on this season as well as, you know, this uh, spring season progresses and see where things go as we get closer to uh, the NCAA championships. Yeah, of course. No, thanks. No, I know. Sorry. I wish I, I wish I knew more about the season and stuff, but I was able to talk to Karen a little bit, but they're still kind of, same as we are. It's just one of those things, I guess. We're all, we're all going to get through the weirdness. and But at the end of the day, we, we get more cowgirl soccer. <laughs> we get to see a little bit more of uh, what was a, a good team that really played, you know, played well throughout the fall slate. And now we get to see how much they improved uh, through the winter and into the spring. So it's still a good time, and especially any chance to get out to Neil Patterson Stadium. It's going to be big for the fan base and for Oklahoma State as a school. So I'm excited to see what this team has. Once again, thank you so much, and we'd love to have you on again soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, guys. Philip, it is my favorite time of year. I love football. I love basketball. I love cowboy cowboy wrestling, but my friend, it's baseball season. And it is. Did something happen this week that may have been I don't know, momentous, historic, a uh, long time coming in relation to Oklahoma State baseball? Slightly, yes. Uh, finally, did I undersell that? Yeah, just a little. <laughs> You're such an ass. But <laughs> finally. Cowboy baseball was able to play their first game in O'Brate Stadium. They played, they were recording this on Wednesday, on Thursday. They played Wednesday night, beat Arkansas Little Rock. Previous weekend, they were supposed to play Sam Houston State, but because of the weather, that got canceled quickly before that, you know, before the weekend hit. 
they were able to play two games at Wichita State to begin their year. They won both of those games, three to one, and I believe it was fourteen to six was right. the the second result. And then they won last night against uh, UA Little Rock, seven to two. Really good start to the year, three and zero. They're playing Illinois State this weekend, first weekend series at Albright Stadium. I will be there on Sunday. I will be tweeting and taking lots of pictures while I'm there, but I'm very excited to watch my first baseball game in almost a calendar year, which for me is wild and. I never want to go that long without going to a baseball game, but just some quick thoughts on the season so far, the pitching staff is ridiculous on this team. It is very good top to bottom outside of one hiccup by Roman Flanscar in the second game of that series, that series at Wichita state where he gave up four or five runs, just really struggled. The staff has been very good. Top to bottom starters, relievers, anybody has been – it's been great. Uh, Parker Scott is your Friday guy, more than likely this year. You got Bryce Osmond on Saturday, and then Justin Campbell's your Sunday. Like, that seems to be the way Oklahoma State's going to go about their their starters this year. And having those two – you know, having your weekend guys – your weekend starters this early on, I think tells you about where they feel that they are at. And then and now it's just finding your bullpen. You have some freshmen, you have some transfers, you have some guys that are kind of unknown. And so it's an opportunity early on in the season. And we know Josh Holiday likes to experiment, kind of figure out who he likes and who he wants to have for conference play when Oklahoma State plays their best, they play, they play their best baseball. They're going to drop a game here or two and, I've mentioned this the last couple of seasons. Like they're going to drop a weird one midweek, trying to get some freshmen in or get some guys that maybe don't throw very often, just to see what they have in them for later on in the year. Don't worry about it. And I'm really not going to try and get too far into stats early on this year. Three games is such an incredibly small sample that you can't make any sort of definitive conclusions about anybody. You, you really can't. You, I, I really am going to wait until I see about 50 or 60 at-bats from these guys before I really start talking definitively about this roster. But right now, they, they're playing really good baseball. Um, you know, you have a very veteran-laden lineup with Houston Morrill, Caden Trinkle last year, uh, Alex Garcia, Kate Cabanis, uh, Max Hewitt, you know, guys that have been in the lineup for the last couple of years. Now you add in Jake Thompson, who was there a little bit last year. Uh, Christopher Encarnacion Strand, who was a Juco kid that just mashes baseballs. There's a, we have a transfer from Kentucky and Matt Golda nail, holding down second base. And that's pretty much been, you know, they have mixed up the lineup the last couple of days, but it's pretty much been the same guys. They, we haven't seen a ton of, um, you know, mixing and matching with, various um like various guys on the roster like bench guys that are coming in it's mostly been the same roster just trying to find the right mix for the lineup and we're seeing some freshmen get in nolan mcclain who is a two-way guy with he pitches he hits and he also plays football he's a quarterback on the football team and we're seeing again some good offensive outputs and what this team does really well at least early on offensively they frenzy hit they're not you're not going to see consistent inning by inning by inning they're going to put together all these score but about there's going to be about two or three innings a game where they're going to put up crooked numbers and you're going to see hit after hit after hit and it's not you know double in the gap it's a home run it's a single infield single a stupid bunt stop it i'm sorry i get i get fired up for bunting and by that i mean you should never do it ever 
but we saw that last night against UA Little Rock where it was the, I believe it was the, the, it was the second inning where they put up five runs and that really, that really did it for them. It was one of those where they put the ball in play and good things happened. And they've done a good job of putting the ball in play in good counts. They've worked the count incredibly well. They, they will take a walk. They're not going to chase. They're not going to come outside their zone. And they're going to put together, they're going to make the starting pitcher on the, on the mound work, and, which is great to see. But like I mentioned with the starting staff, it's a deep pitching staff. Doesn't matter who they go to. Outside of Roman, that one hiccup from Roman Plantscar, who we're going to see again, I don't think that's going to end one bad outing is going to end his year. We're seeing a lot of good stuff, and I think a lot of that is obviously Rob Walton and Josh Holiday getting the right mix. But I think we're really seeing the benefit early on this season of all of what Obrate has, and not just the beautiful stadium itself, but it's the pitching lab. They have all of this technology in there to help pitchers get better. And we've seen huge jumps. I, I saw a huge jump from Justin Campbell from last year. Parker Scott's really got things nailed down. Bryce Osmond, John Kelly heard he had a, a kind of a rough winter, but he looked really good in his inning of relief. It, it makes a difference. This is the kind of stuff that's going to make Oklahoma state that much better. It's not just the pitching and development. It is the ability to look at all of these things with Rapsodo and Edgertronic and high-speed cameras that help to break things down to the millisecond of what you can do to make your pitching the most efficient that it can be. And that's what we're seeing early on with this team. I like what I'm seeing, and I want to give a huge shout-out to the video coordinator for Oklahoma State Baseball. His name is Colton Lovelace. I believe he is a KU guy. Um, I don't know if he played, but I know he was like at least a student manager on the team. He does all of the video for Cowboy Baseball so they can break down video and film and all that kind of stuff. But he's posted GIFs and clips of the pitchers from the last couple of games and does overlays of the fastball and their secondary pitches. So if they throw a fastball and changeup, you see the ball come out and you see the difference in the pitch. And it's been really cool to see. There's a lot to like about everybody on this pitching staff. If you have the opportunity, go and follow this guy because if you're a nerd for baseball like me, or you want to learn more about the game, this is someone to follow because you see how important the pitching is for Oklahoma state and how good it is. This is a really fun team. This is a really good team. I think a very underrated team. This is Oklahoma state is going to finish in the top three of the big 12, if not try and win it. They are that good. People haven't talked about it a lot yet because the TCU tech and Texas get a lot of hype, but Oklahoma state is going to be, they're going to make a lot of noise come conference play. I'm very excited for what this team is going to be and how this season progresses, but early returns are really impressing me at this point. I just think it's fun to watch college baseball again. I can't get a lot of cool here. This is, this is not my wheelhouse. This is just me trying to make sure that I understand the lingo properly, uh, which I like to text at you. Uh, it was fun texting you because you couldn't watch or listen to the uh, Wichita State second game. Uh, that was fun. Um, my only disappointment is that we get Friday and Saturday's games on ESPN Plus, and then we don't get another game televised until March 9th at Oral Roberts on the ORU Sports Network, which means the entire series against Grand Canyon is not going to be on TV. So I don't know if these are going to be on the YouTube stuff they used to have or not. If somebody would like to let us know, that would be great. Um, because I don't like the idea of not being able to, to only be able to listen to a three-game series against Grand Canyon, who's currently playing Oregon State, 
Uh, so I'm going to keep track of what happens there. So, yeah, uh, Illinois State this weekend, they're 2-0. and They had a four-game series against Belmont that was supposed to have been last weekend that was canceled. Uh, so they played two games against SIUE, which I think is like Southern Illinois. Edward, I think it's Southern Illinois Edwardsville. Yeah. Yes, that sounds about right. Yeah, they played a doubleheader on Tuesday. And both games ended in seven innings. So I don't know how much. I think I think college does seven inning doubleheaders when they, uh, when they, unless it was unless the scores were really out of whack. Um, I'm pretty Six sure and college one is, and nine and one. Okay, so they might have gone mercy yeah. on it just because just to get them out because it's two games. I don't know, but so there you go. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to watch some more baseball this weekend. Yep, and I, I will I will give you guys a couple of players to watch, uh, a couple of pitchers, a couple of hitters, but I'll start pitching. Uh, Zach Cable is number 34. He's a reliever. Comes out. You'll, you'll see him around seventh, eighth inning. Uh, he throws 98 with a little bit of run and has a changeup that falls off the table. And I will retweet the video again because it's, a, it's just disgusting and it shouldn't be legal uh, for someone to throw 98 with that type of changeup that falls off the table. He's probably going to – I'll call it. He's probably going to be the best reliever in the Big 12 this year with that kind of stuff. And he has a slider that he doesn't throw very much, but it still sits 90 to 92, which is stupid for a college pitcher. That's a kid that's going to make himself a lot of money this year. True. I, I, I think he'll, he'll go. And if the dra- if they expand the draft again, you're going to see a guy's going to go make himself a lot of money. And then Brett Stanley, who has started, he's relieved, kind of been a, a jack of all trades for the pitching staff for the last couple of years. And it seems like, He'll probably spot start from, you know, every, every once in a while. But he's a guy that is found a home in the bullpen, it looks like, as the ninth inning guy. And I love that for him. I, I think he's a good pitcher, but prof, doesn't profile as much of a starter for me. I, I don't think the stuff plays over, you know, once, once teams see him for the second time, they start to touch him up a little bit. The fastball's around, you know, low 90s. It just doesn't. And he gets a little bit of cut, which is fine, but the secondaries just don't play up enough. And I, and I still think he's a talented pitcher, but in the bullpen, he's mid-90s. The stuff plays up a little bit. His slider was working really well last night, and when you throw 95 with a good slider in college and at least one more secondary, yeah, you're, they're not going to touch you. And also he has the beard to close as well, which I think can't, I can't not talk about that. That is an 80-grade I am going to shove shove it up your ass here to win a ball game type of beard. Um, uh, he's a guy, when he comes out for the ninth inning, know that the, the game is well in hand. Uh, I'll, I'll put it that way. On the offensive side of things, I'm really really high on Caden Trinkle, who is the center fielder for Oklahoma State. He's a second year freshman technically because COVID reset everything, but kids tooled up. He can run. He can hit a little bit. He's going he's gonna to swing and miss, but it's gap-to-gap power with some over-the-fence power developing. He's going to play a really good center field. He's going to run when he gets on base. I, I like all the tools. The tools are loud. It's just a matter of putting it all together. And he started kind of slow this year, but don't worry about it. That's, that's someone that's going to be – he's going to be your two-hole hitter the rest of the year, and he's going he's gonna to be just fine. And then I'll talk about I'll talk about Christopher Encarnacion Strand, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, he came from a, a smaller JUCO in Arizona, but in his career he hit. And I'm not a huge batting average guy, but when you hit 400, 
over a significant period of time. I think it was over 81 something games in his college, in his Juco career that that's a significant enough sample size. that tells me you can hit the ball and he had 33 doubles and 31 home runs in his career too. So it's a ton of power from the right side. It's easy power the other way. He got fooled on a slider yesterday, I think. Yeah, I think it was, it was a breaking ball of some kind. He got fooled. He's way out on his front foot. He just threw his hands at, at the ball and the barrel, like, and just threw it, caught the barrel, and he damn near put it to the warning track in right center without even really having any sort of base to him at all. Um, when he gets into one, it's going to fly. And he hit, he hit one out of Wichita State when the wind was swirling on, uh, on Monday. So that's a guy that's going to start to move up the lineup a little bit. Huge right-handed bat. Provides a little bit of protection for Alex Garcia as well as one of the best hitters on this team. I'm, I'm excited for some of the development of these guys as the season goes on. But like I said, early returns show me how good this team is. And I am very excited for the rest of this year. And like I said, I get to watch them play in person on Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad it's baseball season. It makes me so happy. I'm jealous of you getting to be there. Uh, we'll be there at some point. We'll see what happens. At some point, I'm going to check it out. Right? I'm excited for it. And then we also, I think, would be remiss if we didn't talk about – yeah, we'll, we'll wrap this up real quick, but I, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Cowgirl softball, who are – I think – I know they're still undefeated. I don't know how many games they played, but they're playing really well. They're still nine – they're number nine or ten in the country. And, again, early returns on them are showing how talented they are as well. They were really good last year. Season got cut short. They brought damn near everyone back. That's going to be a fun team to follow as well. Don't – like, baseball should get the credit they deserve and the rec- and the publicity they do because of the new stadium. But don't don't sleep on this softball team either. They'll be in Oklahoma City this summer. I promise you that. Yeah, they are they've – got a, they've got a really good uh, weekend uh, in, in store for themselves right now. Sorry, I'm stumbling around. I'm doing that thing where I'm trying to pull something up while I talk, which is always great. Let let me tell you. Uh, So they're ahead of Louisiana. They've got two games and a doubleheader against LSU on Friday. Uh, They play a game against Buffalo on Saturday and then two games against Louisiana. Our game is – no. Man, softball is the doubleheader thing. So two on Friday against LSU, a game against Buffalo, and a game against Louisiana on Saturday, and then a game against Louisiana on Sunday. Cowgirls are currently 9-0. and They are ranked in the top 10 across the board. I'm pretty sure they're number eight. So they're ninth in D1 softball. Uh, and they're placing, as I mentioned, Louisiana, two games. Louisiana is currently ranked seventh, in case you're wondering. By D1 softball. Uh, LSU is currently ranked 12th. So four of their top of their five games this weekend will come against top 15 teams. They've got some they got some real opportunities here this weekend for some really big wins. The 9-0 is a good start. Um, nothing against that. They haven't outside of the nice win over Arkansas to start everything off, who is a ranked opponent. Um, that was a nice win. They're currently ranked 16th, but they haven't had anybody else have had to face who's of note, this is four or five games against top 15 opponents. This is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this has been a long episode. We're tired. We both have a lot of editing to do. But do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? I'm going to bed. Right behind you, man. <laughs> all right. We will talk to you all next week. We have, a, like I said, we have a lot to talk about, a lot of different sports. We will try and give you some sort of coverage on everything if we can and some sort of interview in between. But we, we will figure that out next week, and we will talk to you all then. 
Joel Pokes. Have a good one, everybody.